Hey, it's Joey Thurman. I'm excited to bring you season two of the Fad or Future podcast. We live in a world where information is everywhere, easy to access, and sometimes not always accurate, especially in the health and wellness space, which is exactly why I created this show. There's two sides to every story, and I'm here to present both and let you decide, is it a fad or is it the future? Health fads come and go, but the science behind them is what makes them work or fail. I'm bringing the experts to you and putting the facts on the table so you can decide how and where to put your efforts in your own personal health and wellness journey. Thank you to Third Wheel Podcast Studio in LA for the great editing work on our show every week. If you're ever in LA and need a studio to use, they have full audio and video capabilities and awesome engineers. They also have a Seattle location coming soon. And of course, if you're just looking for production and editing, they have you covered there too. Check them out online at thirdwheelpodcaststudio.com. Hey, what's going on? It's Joey Thurman. Here's another episode of the Fad or Future podcast. I have a good looking fella in front of me right now, Rafe DeRozzi. Any activist, HIV positive, bodybuilder, just trying to figure out life, man. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you know, I, I appreciate uh, you know having you on because it's interesting. Now we've never actually met in person, but I feel like I know you. Um, yeah, I know. Likewise, right? But, uh, <laughs> good, good people connecting, and and however we can, whether that's uh, one hundred. Yeah. Oh, I, I got to beat you up on an Instagram live. <laughs> you did. You put me to shame. <laughs> I kicked the shit out of here. It was great. Joey, you proved that aesthetics don't mean that you're fit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can look fit. Um, yeah. You know, and the other way around, you can have somebody that looks out of shape that can, you know, pick up a log and toss it over the head, and, you know. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, it, it was quite interesting. But it's just different stimulus for you. That's all it was. All right, so, Rafe, tell me a, a little bit, uh, kind of, you sort of do a, a lot of things, man. I know that you had to make a pivot. Um, and a shift as a lot of people had with COVID, but your story um, is interesting, especially how you are so out there and so open and honest with people. Yeah, I mean, I up until this year, I was doing a lot of activism, advocacy work, content creation around HIV, what it means to be living with HIV, um, you know, battling stigma, as well as, you know, in parallel with my fitness journey and becoming a professional competitive physique bodybuilder, natural. And that was really important to me for, for my health, especially. Um, and then slowly, you know, kind of also blending in LGBTQ because I'm gay. So that's, you know, it's all kind of interlinked. And then today or this year, of course, with lockdowns and everything, things have changed. And so a lot of uh, stable income that I had just kind of vanished overnight. And so I had to pivot a little bit. And now I'm working the quote unquote survival job. Thanks to my parents, they have a, a manufacturing plant. And so I'm picking up some sales skills here. And I'm just grateful that I have that to rely on and that I also have the flexibility to keep working on what I'm passionate about too. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that's kind of what a lot of people have to do nowadays. And I told you as we were talking before we were recording that I said I'm mooching off my in-laws and a friend mm -hmm. who, you know, arguably has a lot worse health-wise, you know, than me. Um, 
instead of mooching off, he just said, no, you're fortunate. And it was really interesting. Like that stuck with me. And that was just, just yesterday. And I, and I kid, but it, it is nice to be able to have that fallback of uh, friends and family and people that you love, especially um, nowadays. So now you, why do you feel so passionate about like being like an HIV activist? Because you don't really see that that often, honestly. And I think people feel like <laughs> HIV is kind of like, kind of gone. It's not there anymore. You know, I even think there was a South Park episode about it years ago where like, I don't know, Cartman or somebody like that, they had HIV and like, totally. you know, it's just, it's not something that's, that's in the forefront now. So, you know, why do you feel like that is? And if I'm speaking out of turn, let me know. That's kind of one of your missions in life. Yeah. And I, you basically summed it up in that there isn't a lot of uh, visibility for it currently. And the fact that people are very much miseducated about where we're at with the epidemic now. And there's kind of a spectrum of both extremes where some people think, oh, there's a cure, people are fine, it's not an issue, we don't have to talk about it anymore. Then there's the other extreme that's like still living in the 80s mentality of what that looked like and how scary it was and basically meant that you're gonna die. And so I'm trying to bring people to the middle to understand um, that there's a lot more going on now. I, I've always been very open in general, and I'm not really a private person in that sense that I'm, I'm willing to talk about myself and, and be personal um, and vulnerable with myself really easily. And if I ever feel like I can't do that, then that's difficult for me and I have to kind of rectify that. And I kind of felt that way with HIV and I'm like, okay, I have to go beyond that and really push the conversation because I need to feel free to just like be myself. Um, especially if I'm on social media and stuff like that. So, and one thing I want to throw out there that is like really kind of significant that I'm trying to push that people understand is that when the medication is doing its job for people living with HIV, it essentially, it kills all the free flowing HIV in your body. And then there's little reservoirs, pockets of HIV that the medicine can't get to. And those pockets basically hibernate. So it's no longer affecting your body. It's just chilling there as long as you're taking your medication. And so when that happens, you become undetectable mm -hmm. is the term. And once you're undetectable for a certain period, you can no longer transmit the virus to anyone else sexually. Okay. So is it, would you say that's you a cure? Yeah. Would you say that's a cure or would you say that's just kind of like in remission that it's still there? Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a cure. Uh, mostly so that, you know, there's no misunderstanding there because you do have to continue your medication indefinitely until yeah. there is hopefully a cure in the near future. Okay. So and you just, it's like a, like a pill you gotta take every day or what is that? Yeah, I take one pill once a day. It's fantastic. I have zero noticeable side effects. Um, I get lab work done every six months where they, you know, screen my blood and my urine samples and everything. And I don't have any negative effects there either. Um, although there are, there's a plethora of different medications and some have like, you know, a cocktail of, five or six or three or whatever. Um, and just this year in Canada, they approved an injectable, which I believe you take once a month or once every two months. Yeah. So that's kind of the new frontier for that. Okay. Now, when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed on my birthday in 2012. Holy shit. I was diagnosed with AIDS. Wow. And uh, what, 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 
how long does it take to get the diagnosis? Did you, you go in and get some blood work? Is, it, is there a long waiting period? Or for you, how long was that? For me, it was a week because when I went in, I was feeling pretty ill. Yeah. Um, hence the AIDS. But um, they didn't know what they were looking for exactly. So that it was just a general screening. And so when I came back in a week, that's when I found out I had HIV. They said, we're going to do further screening to see, you know, exactly how high your viral load is, where your T cell counts at. And so I came back a week later on my birthday, and then that's when I found out it was AIDS. Wow. Uh, I mean, how, how was that for you on your birthday to hear that new news? <laughs> the, the most difficult part was when I found out I had HIV, because I just wasn't expecting that at all. I was in what I thought was the three and a half year monogamous committed relationship at the time. You know, STIs were the fur furthest thing on my mind. But an HIV diagnosis was probably up there as one of my you know, biggest fears in life. Yeah. So when I found that out and I was so undereducated about it that I thought I was going to be dead in two or three years. So I'm like, you know, debating how I was going to live out the rest of my life. Yeah. So by the time I came back on my birthday, I was kind of prepared for the worst at that point. Wow. So you, you know, you're in that relationship and you, and you think everything's okay. So obviously your partner was a carrier. Or they, you were, they, yeah. I, after I told him he went out and got tested and found out that he had AIDS as well and then shortly after that I found out that he was not faithful wow and then yeah. that was the end of that relationship it was it it was actually it took me a while to end it I think because there's something about psychologically finding out you have HIV and that you're essentially feel like a leper and that you're unworthy in a lot of ways that um, I clung on to what was familiar and and onto someone else who was going through the same thing. Yeah. So I think I justified it for a while until I was strong enough to to let go. And 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 how did you how did you find that strength? I mean, I think a lot of people are in that situation. Um, you know, they they get caught in relationships that whether it's you know like somebody being unfaithful or abusive or anything like that, and you're and you're just kind of like holding on, right? Because you don't feel like you're good enough. Yeah. And you're, you're open yeah. about your feelings. What was, you know, the moment or was there a moment that you just kind of said, all right, I, I've, I've got to, I've got to do this for me. Sure. Um, you know, I'm not a religious person per se, but I do believe in the higher power and God. And I feel like God kind of put me in a position where I had to do some inner work because I believe as a result of the medication I was taking initially, I had, um, I lost bone bone mineral density mm -hmm. so I, I easily broke my right ankle and I was out of commission for about five months and so I was in bed in a cast from my toes all the way up to my thigh with with all the time in the world to reflect and that's when I started to really go inward I was meditating every day doing gratitude journals vision boards reading um, self-help book inspirational books Hay House was was a big publishing company that produces a lot of books like that and so I was doing a lot of active work on myself and so eventually one day you know it just kind of clicked and I was ready and I remember I remember being in the bathroom and he was in the bedroom and I just had my head against the wall and I was like you know amping myself up like you can do this like I didn't know where I was gonna I was gonna go I didn't have my job back yet my car got repossessed I had no money and I was just like I just have to do this and I'll figure it out as I go and so I did wow where'd you go once you broke the news. 
So fortunately, at my old job, one of the girls that worked there had a spare room. It was it was more like a mud room in a house that was converted <laughs> in the valley. So it was like $400. It had an entrance on one side to the garage and an, an entrance on the other side going to the rest of the house. Tiny room for like a little, you know, bed and that was it. And that kind of tied me over until I got my job back and started to make some money again. Wow. Uh, that's an expensive mudroom, man. I know, but it's LA. So what do you expect? I was going to say, like, what the hell? I think you got ripped off there. 400 bucks? I first got ripped off. <laughs> yeah. it, it's like, it was like a walkthrough room, too. <laughs> no privacy at all? No. Okay. Pardon me while I put my muddy shoes by your bed here. Yeah. It gave me character. <laughs> So what was the path after that? It took you several months. Your, your foot was all messed up. Then, then where, do you, where do you go from there? Um, so like I said, I was doing a lot of inner work and finding my self-worth again and kind of reestablishing how I wanted to move forward with my life. And a big component of that was realizing that I had spent the majority of my life with a victim mindset, a victim mentality, so that life was happening to me and I was merely reacting to stuff that I couldn't control. Yeah. And so I realized that in a way, you know, being diagnosed with AIDS was like a physical manifestation of being the ultimate victim. And I'm like, that has to change. I have to take control. There are, there are people in life that we witness who are, who seem, life seems to bend at their will and they're successful and powerful and happy. And I'm like, I got to figure out what that is and how to do that. So that's what I was doing. And part of that was reclaiming not only my mental and my emotional health, but physical health as well. So I started to go to the gym. I like, I was excited when I could afford that, you know, $30 a month LA fitness membership. And I hop on the bus and trek there every night and just start running in the neighborhood and working out. Um, and little by little, you know, things started to pick up. I, I was feeling better uh, physically, especially and then I was able to afford a car. And then so then once I got the car, I no longer needed to carpool with my friend every day. So I was able to get a second job. So I was working two jobs, you know, seven days a week. I think the longest I went was 30 days in a row without a day off and was just hustling. Well, yeah, I mean, you did what you had to do, right? Yeah. 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 So I mean, and then you started, you started working out. And how was that? As you, you said, your bone mineral density was down. Uh, yeah. Did you start having a lot of joint problems when you started working out? I mean, I'm sure they put you on a bunch of different, you know, cocktails of medications. And, you know, what's the point when you started like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start working out and, you know, become a natural bodybuilder and, you know, and shaping my body. Cause you know, if anybody listening to this, if, if a professional bodybuilder is the IFUB guys, those guys are juiced beyond belief. Um, yeah. like, it's no secret, but um, yeah. they work very hard, but they're, they're juiced like crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, it, so how was it when you started working out? I mean, it, you got to feel kind of drained if you're on all sorts of medication and your mineral density is down. Yeah. And I think it was a blessing that I didn't know at the time that that medicine, a triplo was having that effect on me. I didn't know. It didn't occur to my doctor at the time either. I think it was relatively new, but it had a ton of side effects. I mean, like hallucinations and waking up in the middle of the night, vivid dreams and just, sorry about that. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so, uh, let's see, what was, where was I going to start with that? 
Yeah. So working out, I think probably helped actually strengthen my body and even my bones to, to push enough that it was, I was strengthening my body without breaking anything. And I eventually switched off of that medicine. So it just became a non-issue after a while. And I really didn't know what I was doing in the beginning. I was just, I would hop from machine to machine and I would look at the little diagram on there <laughs> and do that a few times until I felt tired and then move on to the next. And you, did the, you did the old man workout, right? They just, they just <laughs> yeah. go machine to machine so and they assume that's set up how you're supposed to work out. <laughs> so they do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, why else would they set it up this way? It makes, it just makes sense. So that's how I did it. And I had never squatted or benched or deadlifted yeah. in my life. Well, maybe a couple of times in high school, but I didn't know what I was doing then either. And eventually I think just seeing my sheer will and focus in the gym, one of the trainers who is exactly how you would describe an IFBB uh, bodybuilder, yeah. huge jacked, obviously on steroids, um, pulled me aside one day and he said, Hey, you know, I'd love to train you. I see what you're doing. You're really putting in the effort and I would love to like show you the ropes. And I was like, yeah, please, I need the help. So he introduced me to all the fundamental compound movements and really pushed me hard. I mean, I was like screaming in the gym and, you know, Bambi by the end of it, (laughs) not able to, to walk, which was awesome that's that's what i wanted and right. he was great and eventually he asked me if i had ever considered competitive body bodybuilding and so he's the one who introduced me to the idea of it at first i was like no way i'm not interested i don't want to look like you no offense right um but he's like he introduced me to men's physique yeah. and that's when i kind of was like oh okay i can do that which is you know physique for people listening is kind of like uh your men's health versus muscle and fitness you know you're not completely yeah. 300 pound look like a cartoon supervillain, but uh yeah. you know looking good and pretty pretty shredded and then natural is something else i mean i did three uh physique contests myself they didn't test us so let's just say i'm not quite sure how many of those people were natural but anyways yeah i got top 10 in all three uh <laughs> but well that's it, impressive it's it's interesting well and i'm six three so i'm a, bit, I'm a big dude so most like, yeah we're like Five ten shorter, uh, but if you ever want to see an interesting thing, go into the bathroom before a, a bodybuilding contest and look at the toilet seats because they are nothing <laughs> but like orange from spray tan and just have ass. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just it gets everywhere too, and it smells. I hate it. It's nasty. Just, you're, just, you're in the back with all these guys that are just jacked. They're all doing like push-ups and band curls and eating marshmallows and skittles and peanut butter and nobody's wearing deodorant because you're not allowed to it turns the tanner green oh so everybody smells of bo Uh (laughs) uh-huh they and and we they're all dehydrated like crazy they're all in a bad so they look their best but they actually feel their worst and then then the spray tan is going on and back oh my god is it is just yeah, what you That's see on stage idea. is not what's happening backstage. I mean, I was popping <laughs> chocolate marshmallows and like trying to do like curls and push-ups. Rice and crackers yep. with a you know dry mouth. Yep. Yeah. Try eating a pizza the night before when you've when you're on like six ounces of water and you're sitting in a bath yeah. of baking soda. <laughs> just, <laughs> try to carve up. Ridiculous. Uh, we just went off on a tangent there, but yeah, a bodybuilding physique contest—they are <laughs> something else. That's that's for sure. 
Uh, so what ha- what happened when you when you started uh, when you started bodybuilding there and you, and you decided to, uh, you became pro? I mean, physically you were changing, but how was that affecting you mentally? I would say that it, it uh, reinforced what I was trying to do with, you know, being mentally strong and and going moving away from the victim mentality, and it related directly to life. I mean, what you do in the gym, as far as pushing yourself to new limits and reaching new PRs and all of that, I started, you know, associating that with my day to day, like pushing myself to get out of bed earlier and and work hard, have a, you know, more disciplined work ethic and just push, push, push. I realize over time constantly, I'm constantly stronger than I think I am. And that bar keeps moving the further I push it. So I'm kind of at a point now where I'm like, how far can I go? And I don't, I'm not referring to fitness, but I mean, in life, like I, like I told you earlier, I'm working 60 to 70 hour weeks. and I'm a little delirious at the moment, but I'm like, wow, like I didn't think that I could really do this or function on two hours of sleep one night because I have to, but I can. And so I'm just, it's, it's this curiosity and this excitement for like, what's my potential really? Yeah. I mean, sometimes when you're backed in a corner, do you, roll up in a ball in a fetal position or do you just try to get out of that corner somehow? So it yeah. sounds like that's what you're doing. Yes. I mean, sleep and everything is important, but sometimes you've got to do what you got to do. And, you know, yeah, and there's no shame in having to work really, really hard and push yourself for like a temporary period of time. That's not, and, and working for my parents, it, I really look up to Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm-hmm. And I remember he always talks about the fact that he worked for his parents for a number of years and it wasn't something he envisioned doing. It wasn't something that he was necessarily passionate about, but he went all in for those however many years for their wine business and then moved on. And, and the skills that he took from that, he was able to apply to what he was actually in love with. And so that's kind of my attitude about this. Yeah. What advice would you give for people that right now, I mean, especially in the COVID era, right? I mean, yeah, this is going to come out a, a, a week after we, talk about it so it's very timely what advice would you give for people now that they feel like they you know everything's falling apart or they lost their job or their relationships yeah. i mean i you, you talk about that victim mentality and a lot of people get there and i i'm you know yeah. i suffer with depression as i'm very honest about that too and you know how do you mm-hmm. kind of move through that or even live with it yeah that's and what you just said at the end is so key it's so important to, first of all, acknowledge the way that you're feeling and acknowledge those feelings and validate them. You're, you, the last thing we want to do is shove that under the rug and pretend it's not there. It's so important to take the time and the attention for that and to not judge it. Yeah. And then to also be willing to say, okay, it, it, that is what it is, but it doesn't impact my decisions moving forward. Um, and so... I mean, things are changing literally on a day-to-day basis, sometimes hour by hour. When, when I have the news on, it's like, wow, okay, yep. stuff's going on. There's headlines every day at this point. And so I think something that's really important is to just be adaptable and willing to change on a dime. And I don't mean that you don't have a center or a focus or a grounding, because I think we all need to have a foundation a point that that kind of represents who we are and what our values are that we work from and that we can adjust things on top of that we're never really changing who we are in the beginning we don't want to just hop around from thing to thing and not really have a focus 
but I'm willing to pivot as I need to. Did I want to be working at a plastics manufacturing plant? No, but I'm here and I'm going to, I'm going to decide to focus on the positives of it and what I can learn from that. So I'm already learning a bunch, especially in sales. And I know that that's going to help me in ways that I'm not even aware of in the future when I want to start my own business, Mm -hmm. come up with my own lines and things like that. So I think it's about focusing on the, the plus side. And especially now coming up, I mean, the economy, despite what I'm seeing in headlines, I believe is not heading anywhere great anytime soon. And so it's going to be, a lot of people are going to have the tendency to want to be like, well, shit, like the economy is crap. This is happening to me, but they always say, you know, the most, the most people that become wealthy do so in a downturn Mm. because there's so much opportunity there. And so we just have to find that, uncover it and focus on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're, we're forced to adapt, you know, and, and, and having those days or moments or weeks or months of just sure that um, not knowing where you're going to go in life. You know, like, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And did I want to stop training? I mean, I was training movie stars and celebrities oh. and everything in, in Chicago. And Chicago, people don't know, it. you've got the second biggest movie studio, uh, recording studio. So I get calls from HBO and these people and training them and getting a check from Fox, you know, and HBO and doing very well for myself. Um, you know, but then, you know, sometimes you see just take a step back and, you know, look through, look at my life through a window. And what am I seeing there? Like, is it really worth it trying to do this and put myself and my family at risk? Um, yeah. Depends on what news station you look at if you're putting yourself at risk, but you yeah. know, and then that's, that's, that's kind of what it did. Like, okay, we need to get the hell out of the city. Um, we need to take this opportunity to put some money away and then and sit and wait and figure out my next thing. Um, so yeah. I was, I was a, what was me for a long time, you know, but yeah, lots of people are in that same situation and it, it took me a long time to be more grateful about where I'm at, but things will come and, it might suck mm-hmm. for a while, but this is, this is, a this is a blink, you know, in, in our lifetime right now. And we'll look back and like, remember 2020 and then that fucking sucked, but you know, <laughs> past 10 years have been good. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, I, I appreciate you being honest with people. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I've gained 30 pounds. I haven't had access to gyms either. And I don't, I don't have a gym at home. I told you, I just got a, a bike so that I can, so I can at least do some cardio at home. I was, I tried running, but I shortly after ended up getting some weird, like I got shin splints and then some other weird thing with my Achilles tendon. And so that was demoralizing. And I'm like, geez, I can't even catch a break here. And I, I can't strength train that much either. And my schedule has been crazy. So it's like, okay, I've, I packed on weight. I don't look the way I did. It's not going to happen anytime soon. So let's just make peace with that right now and just chill. Right. Yeah. Just embrace the softness for a little bit, dude. You'll be all right. <laughs> the squishy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can always give you another, another Instagram live workout. <laughs> yeah. I like, I represent the lay person. That's fine. It's, it's okay. I mean, I had to build a, build a gym in my in-laws garage. So I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do in Chicago in the winter, but um, hopefully there's these things called portable heaters I can purchase. Yeah. Yeah, you got you got to do what you got to do. Uh, I saw on your Instagram you're doing this thing. 
where you're talking about, you were in a room and people were asking you questions like about HIV. Tell me about that. Yeah, Jubilee is a, this really awesome YouTube channel that does a lot of socially conscious content. Yeah. And I previously, to that video, uh, they invited me for a different concept and that was, it's like a, it's like a big room and then in the middle, there's, there's lines going all the way down. I'm describing this very badly, but there's lines going down the room. Like, so in the middle, it, it would be neutral. And then on the far right, it would be strongly agree, far left, strongly disagree, and everything in between. And so we started out in this middle line, and we were all, you know, 20s to 30s-year-olds living in LA who live with HIV. And they would ask questions related to HIV people. And then we would either stand on the line, depending on whether we strongly agreed or disagreed or neutral, et cetera. And so the topic of the video was, do all people living with HIV think the same? Yeah. Really interesting. And so they asked me to come back and do this other video where it's just me and I'm on one side of a partition. And basically they have people coming in off the street asking me whatever they want to someone living with HIV that they might not feel comfortable doing in their day-to-day -day life that they have been curious about. Yeah, that, that was really interesting. Um, I know you talked about, was it the first time like the doctor shook, shook your hand, um, you know, and like that you were kind yeah. of human and like they weren't gonna touch you and catch AIDS or, you know, um, yeah, that, that really kind of kind of hit home for me, I mean, whether it's AIDS or if it's, you know, like, you know, is somebody struggling with identity issues or anything else? I think a lot of people are afraid to to ask these questions that sometimes you just you should ask whether they're uncomfortable. Yeah. Or, you know, um, it was it was kind of nice to see that. Yeah, because like I said, a lot of people when they are diagnosed, they feel like lepers or they're untouchable. Um, so to have a doctor be willing to shake my hand without a glove and just to feel someone else's touch and that they're not afraid of me was really important at that time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, yeah, that was very powerful. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was good to see. It was, it was also hard to watch at the same time. You know, it's kind of one of those things where, yeah. like, holy shit, I didn't realize people had gone through that, but. Uh, and there's still so, so much stigma like that today. Uh, I had to change my barber a year and a half ago because I'd been going to him pretty regularly and we were chatting and I was kind of telling him more and more about my personal life. And then at a certain point I told him, you know, I was living with HIV and that's, I do content creation around that. And he's like, wow, man, that's, that's so crazy. You know, I, I had no idea. And he was like, kind of curious about it. He's like, honestly, if it was me, I don't think I'd have the strength to, to handle it like you are like lots of respect. But then after that, when I texted him, he didn't respond. And I was trying to schedule another appointment and I would call and they'd be like, oh yeah, he's here. He's with another client. I'm like, great. Can you give him a message? Didn't hear from him. And so it was like maybe 10 times I reached out over the course of a couple of months. And then I finally just put the pieces together. He just refused to cut my hair again after finding out that I had HIV. Wow. So do you think that he was just kind of um, scared to cut your hair because he made nick you and you know like yeah what, what was there i think that's part of it um i know you can get little hair blisters 
I've had my barber tell me about that, that they wear gloves because the, the hair can actually pierce your skin. <sighs> so maybe there's some concern there, which yeah. that's not a transmission risk at all. And even my new bartender told me, because I, he, he's friends with me on social media too. So sometimes his clients will see me and he had one client say, hey, I noticed one of your other clients has HIV. Aren't you worried about that? Cutting his hair. So it's definitely out there. Right. And people are still worried about that. Wow, that's something I never would have even thought of. Same. It's pretty insane. That's crazy, man. So I got one more question for you. I know you're busy and you're working 70 hours this week, but <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your hope? I mean, you do a lot of different things, man. Like, I mean, you're, you're, you're an activist for all sorts of different stuff, right? What is your hope right now, especially for our country and our future to where we're headed with understanding of individuals that are people, people that are not like ourselves. Mm. Mm. Wow. So I have two responses to that. One is that I feel that some people feel it's their responsibility to go out and directly fight misinformation and and kind of almost battle others in the public sphere um whereas i feel like and it goes along with my personality type a little bit more is that i'm creating a safe space for people who do relate and who need to feel like okay it's not all the wild wild west out there there's a little place where i can go where i can relate to other people and i can also learn something and be entertained and not feel alone and get some comfort there so that's important and that's, I'm trying to create that space. Um, and I forgot what the second part was. <laughs> um, yeah, I completely blanked. It's a tough question, man. And it is, it is not, it's not an- okay. Ask me the question again, I think it'll pop up. What, what, is, what is your hope for people now that especially in these times, people that are, everybody is so different and then they're kind of afraid of things that are different from them. I mean, we, we even have a president, you know, who makes fun of all sorts of individuals, you know, like I'm, I'm not a Trump fan. This is not a political podcast, but like, I feel like you should be a, try to be a good person and maybe not make fun of people, especially on TV. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, what is your hope now? Like we, we have all of these different, like huge divides, you know, how, how can people kind of have more of an understanding of one another? Okay, this is part two. Um, there's a, an insane distrust of, of media, of politicians, of lots of authority figures in general, whether it's in health or wherever. There's just an insane amount of distrust right now. But I think when it comes to one-on-one and person-human interactions, that's still really impactful and important. And so rather than trying to be part of some big organization that's making these big statements that people who might need to hear it most might not even give the time of day. If I can just put myself out there as a human being, as a generally good person who is just sharing my personal life, then I feel like that's when people are the most open to just kind of like listen and then as a result of that, take away something that they didn't realize and they're more open. So like I can have a one-on-one conversation with a friend or someone who might have some very conservative views that I don't 
agree with or I don't relate to. But in the course of having a conversation about just our lives in general, we realize our commonalities and then they can kind of have more empathy with my situation and with what I'm going through. And I think that empathy is really what connects us and gives us the openness to consider someone else's situation. So if we looked at each other's commonalities as opposed to our differences, we'd be in a much better place. Yeah, it's, you got to start there. Yeah. Start with like what we have in common and then work from there. I like it. And too often we just go, you're wrong. You don't make sense. I'm right. Now, why don't you agree with me? What, what's right. wrong with you? Yeah. And then and then go, <laughs> go post about it and then find everybody else that just agrees with you and then yeah. block the other people that <laughs> don't agree with exactly. you. Exactly. And I just, I'm, I can't be part of that conversation. It's not even a conversation. Uh, all right, Rafe. Thanks for coming on. Where can people find you? They can find me. My name, Rafe Durazi. Kind of weird to spell. R-A-I-F. D-E-R-R-A-Z-I on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, all over. All over. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on, my friend, uh, being open and honest. I'm Joey Thurman, another episode of the Fatter Future Podcast. Remember, don't be a fatty, F-A-D-D-Y. Be a part of the future. Mm-hmm.